This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there, too. Welcome to HITS Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I brought in uh, a person that he does a lot of expert uh, stuff on teaching bomb dogs and training bomb dogs and and the explosive odors that type of stuff. We do a lot of a lot of bomb dog classes, hands-on stuff. I run a bomb dog myself, but I haven't had that many people here on this podcast yet to discuss uh, the intricacies of like the training aids and keeping stuff clean, some of uh, what what is the dog smelling, all those different things. So I brought Todd Wilbur on today to kind of talk about some of those subjects as well as a few others. So with that, uh, Todd, how are you doing today? I'm well, sir. Thank you. So for the listeners, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, you know how you ended up here? I started off as an Army bomb technician in 1991, later went into Army Special Operations, and then went on to work at uh, to the Department of Energy's nuclear weapons labs, and then later did contract work for uh, State Department, which took me downrange a couple of times as a, as a bomb tech and in a, in a contractor capacity, and then also got a chance to do some original research out at New Mexico, New Mexico Tech, where I'm still adjunct faculty. Now have a company that focuses on training. We don't actually train dogs. We provide odors, uh-huh. uh, provide training aids, but most importantly, we provide training to the handlers to try to help them to assess situations and institute best practices so that they stay safe. But uh, what I'd like to stress is that I know my lane. Uh, I'm a bomb tech and an explosives researcher. I'm not a dog handler. Sure. So questions about dog behavior or techniques, I'll have to defer to somebody who's an expert because I'm certainly not one. Well, I appreciate that, but I think you have a lot to bring to the table because I'm kind of on the other side of it where I know how to train a dog and I've learned some of the stuff about, you know, I'm part of our bomb squad, but I'm not a, certainly not a bomb tech and, and they, they do their stuff, we do ours. So I, I understand, you know, there's a... There's a definite uh, difference in education and, and the passion even. So when you were uh, uh, doing the contract work, you were downrange, I assume you were probably traveling all over the world do, uh, doing different missions? I, I did. Uh, most significant to uh, the work that we do now was uh, a couple of trips to Afghanistan where I was a, a uh, technical advisor to uh, Afghan uh, nationals. I had two Afghan bomb tech teams, uh, EOD teams, and we ran bomb calls, weapons calls, anything that was deemed a hazard yeah. uh, every, every day for months and months. We worked on probably two or 300 IEDs and destroyed tens of thousands of pounds of uh, homemade explosives and ordnance. Sure. sure. And since it's a dog podcast, you know, I got to get to the meat of that. At what point when, you know, in your military career and then your EOD, you know, as an EOD tech and stuff, how much interaction did you have with bomb dogs? And was there a, a point where, like, maybe you didn't work with them much and then you, you, know, you got to see a few good ones and start realizing what the value was? Or was that kind of an ongoing process? If I've had uh, intermittent interaction with uh, <clears throat> with dogs and, and use in for military applications or in looking for, uh, looking for bombs. The first and probably the most impressionable was in a trip to Israel 
where we got to see their dog program. And this was prior to any military units having a dedicated dog program to include special operations. Uh-huh. Uh, so we got to see the uh, Israeli dogs work, and I was absolutely stunned at what I saw in terms of their capabilities, their ability to do uh, article searches out in the middle of the desert and identify aggressive people inside of a building full of non-aggressive people and and, uh, and uh, respond appropriately, if you will, to sure. those aggressors. Um, finding bombs, finding IEDs, that kind of thing. It was absolutely phenomenal. And as a as a bomb technician, you intermittently run into the you know interact with the, the canine teams, and I've always felt like it's a very good cohesive team where where you have bomb techs and and canine handlers working together sure. and trying to and the threats, um, what to do when you when you locate them and specific odors that sort of that sort of thing. So I feel like it's you know we've always been married at the hip, if, even if it wasn't something that was formally declared. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. And was there a few uh, instances, especially like in Iraq, where the dogs, you know, did a phenomenal job when they're out in front of you? We didn't have uh, many of them. And uh, we didn't, I personally didn't have many, uh, many interactions with them. Uh, usually I got called in after they found what I they're see. looking for, typically in, in Afghanistan. The dogs were absolutely phenomenal at, at finding uh, buried hides sure. when, uh, when I was in Afghanistan. Uh, the dog, the dog teams, the handlers. One particular incident, you know, stressing the, the idea that we are a team. I try to to convey to handlers that you're going to be the first person there. You're going to find the ambush. Yeah. And you have to make you have to to make uh, observations. You have to catalog everything that you see, and those things are very important. For example, we're doing a a post blast where handlers were out doing some training. They happened to observe. Uh, some third country nationals dragging a Jersey barrier to prepare a, a new building on, on a base. And uh, that Jersey barrier came across something that, that blew up. Uh-huh. And the canine handlers observed that it looked like there was an explosion, but it also seems like it was a firework because they saw red stuff, you know, uh-huh. red uh, little stars coming yeah. off of it, which ended up being a very key observation that, took, you know, dramatically changed the way this incident un- unfolded later in that uh, when I went to the the blast location, I found batteries and wires and tape and all kinds of things that could have definitely led me down the path to say, hey, this was an IED, we've, you know, we've been attacked. But I also found some things that were related to a submunition that had been used extensively in Iraq uh, called a Blue 97. And this thing has a, a very uh, distinct little parachute and it looks like a can. And um, But one of the things that about the blue 97 is that it has a uh, fire starting metal inside of it so that when this thing hits armor that not only does it punch through the armor but it also starts fires around it okay it just happens that this material looks like a red firework when it goes off so okay. had the canine handlers not made that observation then it could have you know that incident would have taken a dramatically different turn and we would sure. have a lot of ass pain as a result so we're very thankful for what they did i think that's a a great point that uh, you know as a a longtime dog handler i think uh especially you know my training and even my handling we we really stress a lot of uh the dog part of it which is our lane so i always uh 
you know, encourage people that, you know, when they're dog handlers to get with their local bomb squad. And no matter where you are, how big of an agency you have or don't have, you have a local bomb squad. They cover the entire country. You can reach out to them. And I've yet to meet anybody in a bomb squad that won't come and provide some education on, on some of the stuff that you're, you've already mentioned and, and we're going to talk about today. So those resources are out there in your local area, I think. So um, going into uh, what you're doing now, I know you have a, a company. Can you tell me a little bit about your company and where you're located and what you're doing with your company? Uh, Precision Explosives is located in uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia. We've been in operation for a little more than four years. And we started off just doing training and uh, some of our customers asked, uh, could we buy explosives from you? So uh, we got an explosives license and all that process and uh, began to sell explosives. And then some customers asked, well, can we, uh, is there a way that we can have real training aids that don't require licensing or don't require special security or, or safety measures? And so we created a non-detonable training aid and then it was, we were asked, can you make something for narcotics that is safe to use? And so we've since developed that. And really what we've tried to do is be responsive to the community. You say that you need something and we'll try to solve the problem. Okay, so with the training aids, we know we'll stay with the bomb part of it. They're non-detonable, but they're not, so they're not the pseudo scent that we're pretty familiar with. So it's a, basically it's, a, it's the actual odor and it's, you just do something to it to make it so that it's safe to handle. It, exactly. It is the actual material. And what we do is uh, we pulverize it. So imagine uh, you have a nice warm piece of toast and you uh, have uh, some butter and you put it on that on that toast and you spread it thin across it and it absorbs into the into the toast. Now you have the taste of butter, but it's not a big clump. And it's that big clump of butter that can explode. So what we do is is infuse this in a, in a material that helps to keep it separate and cushioned and preserve it. That way your dog gets to experience um, real odor. Uh Because of its surface area, it actually acts like, it it behaves to your dog like it's a lot more odor than what's actually there. And so you're adding a a new material into it that that stabilizes it? No, we're basically diluting it in uh, in a material that is background to your dog. It's cellulose. Okay. So... Cellulose is in everything from grass to bark to paper to, you know, there are all kinds of different things that are made up of cellulose. So your dog doesn't need to be proofed off of it because it's just background smell to your dog. And these things are encased in aluminum disc. um, And aluminum is, you know, clearly background. You've got a number of kennels and so forth that go in police vehicles. They're aluminum. So the dog understands that that's that's not something that is going to be beneficial okay and i guess uh, was this was just an idea that kind of came to you after you uh started having the you know the canine community ask for different things so you d- did you develop it personally yourself or did you go and get some scientists behind it or how did you know we we developed it ourselves uh went through you know a good bit of growth we started off with something that was about an inch in diameter and people didn't really like that plus it was really difficult to assemble and it grew to a disc that's now three inches. We have a smaller one for the Nort, which is one and seven or one and three quarters of an inch. And we recently rolled out uh, an extra large, which looks like a big dog bone, and it mimics between three and five pounds of explosives. Okay. So it's it's really all of these have uh, they're riveted together, and they all have rare earth magnets. And the idea is that it should be very easy to deploy. 
the the concept behind how they work actually that was developed out of some original research that i did with grad students at new mexico tech we did uh research on tatp and hmtd and specifically how to desensitize it okay so this was kind of born from from that research interesting and i'm sure there's more obviously more information on your uh, webpage at precisionexplosive.com yes sir so if somebody's listening to this and they want to hear more about it i think it's a you could go to pre-exp.com okay I encourage people to check it out i know i've talked to a few people who have used the product uh fairly recently and and what i'm hearing right now is that the, the people i've talked to really like the product so personally i haven't used it yet but i'm looking forward to to trying it real soon we try to make it uh you know very usable with the with the magnet that makes it easy to deploy yeah. and they're inexpensive they're all under a hundred dollars and probably you know something that's really important not just for our product but for all the products to include narcotics is packaging we really stress use of inorganic material for your outer packaging so all of our products are actually double bagged in metallized mylar so there's an inner bag of metallized mylar and then outer metallized mylar bag and what that does is it prevents your odors from cross-contaminating and if you think about how pickles are stored in your refrigerator it's in a glass jar with a metal lid if it were plastic then that smell of pickle would permeate sure. through and likewise the you know other things in your in your refrigerator if they're packaged in plastic then that smell is going to get out or get in sure that makes sense so moving on to uh, some of the topics that you and i discussed about before the podcast i know that you obviously are very involved now with you know storage of aids and some of those different things and the the uh the different uh, I guess it would be the target odor of the of the explosives. So I'd like to touch base and just kind of pick your brain on some of those topics. The target odor is pretty important, uh, my opinion, in that you need to consider actually what you're looking for. And I, when we talk to handlers and ask them questions like, what is your source of RDX? Some of them know what RDX is, some of them don't. But if I say, do you, do you run your dog on C4? Oh, yes, yes, run on my dog on C4. How about deck cord? Well, what is the energetic material that is in C4? What's the energetic material that's in deck cord or sheet explosives? That's the important part. Sure. And, and the reason why we, we stress this so much is if you look at specifically C4, C4 is made up of 91% RDX. And RDX is the stuff that goes boom in yeah. C4. However, it is a significant minority in composition C4 in terms of what is presented in the scent picture. So, for example, there are three main components that, that come off of C4, three, three chemicals. One is RDX, and if we give them numerical values, um, instead of doing parts per billion, parts per quadrillion, all this stuff, yeah. that makes my head. Yeah. So, <laughs> just positive numbers that are easily digestible. RDX has a value of 435. DMNB, which is the tagant, that's in all plasticized uh, explosives, it has a value of 207,000. Big difference between that sure. and 35, right? But there is a solvent that's used to make RDX that is very prevalent in C4 called cyclohexanone. And cyclohexanone has a value of 666 billion, 600 million. So if we put out cyclohexanone and we put out RDX, what do you think your dog's going to go find sure. first? Sure. Run straight past the RDX and right to cyclohexanone. But you don't want your dog 
to you know think that the that the cyclohexanone is what's most important. You want their dog to find RDX. And yeah. the reason for that is your not your dog is not always going to find C4 uh, or RDX in the form of C4. You may find it in Comp B. You may find it in Simtex. There are all kinds of different uh, explosive compositions that have RDX in it. So your dog really needs to understand RDX, not C4. Sure. Same thing is true with sheet explosives and deck cord. There is a material in sheet explosives and deck cord that helps to keep them pliable. It's called tributyl citrate. That same material is found in vinyl tubing. So we've set out vinyl tubing and we've set up pure PETN. Dogs shoot right past the PETN, they go right to vinyl tubing. Um, they don't always go to final, but we've had, we did a, an event, Reno K911. Uh, it's a great event. We had an opportunity to have about 60 dogs go through a restaurant that was closed down for COVID. And half of those dogs went to the beer taps. And they wouldn't, yeah. we had a couple went to final, but all of them wanted to figure out what was going on with the beer taps because they had vinyl tubing there. Sure. And when you talk to those handlers, I'm just curious, like we, because we train, you know, in our area, we train with a large group of bum dog handlers. And um, I think everybody's kits have like PTN on its own, RDX on its own, as well as like bricks of C4 and and bricks of, uh, you know, other other items that maybe deck cord, either PTN or RDX. So I think we do, sometimes we do like RDX in a jar and then sometimes we do it in a, you know, as C4. The people that have trouble and the dogs were going just to the plastic, do they not have just RDX? by itself and they're only using you know the the actual fully made explosive what we've observed is that oftentimes they don't know that they need to understand those different groups sure so example that the, there is tremendous value in imprinting and routinely training on pure rdx pure PTN, uh tnt but we'll talk more about that in a second nitroglycerin and then a handful of oxidizers if, if you can get your dog to nail those, then you can introduce any of the others, um, and your dog should do just fine. Okay. Um, but a lot of people don't know that they need those things, so what they get is what they're they're going to yeah. get tested, what they've been told that they need to have in their kit, or what just basically what the kit comes with. Yeah. And so they don't have isolated PETN or RDX, yeah. and that that I think uh, we need to do our best to try to educate the community that that's really important. I think that's a good point. I guess it, it, so, but in your experience, um, if you had somebody say, "Okay, well then I don't need C4 or Simtex. I just need RDX, and I don't need Decor or anything else. I'll do you know these simple odors, these five or six families." Have you seen dogs then have trouble when you put out C4 if they've not seen it before? No, not at all. They get to uh, C4 rather rather easily. We've had a number of dogs. You know, in our in our product line, that's what we what we present is you know the highest kit is those those core four that we just talked about. Dogs have been imprinted on that and then certified with other odors uh, such as C four sheet explosives, and the dogs crush them. Okay, and then you said you were going to talk more about uh, TNT. TNT is a is a big issue for a lot of handlers, and I'm, I'm sure you know anybody listening right now say, well, yeah, yeah, I've heard of you know, or I've seen my dog not do well on my TNT, or do well on my TNT, but they don't do well on other people's yeah. TNT. Something that's really important to understand about TNT is that TNT ages, and as it ages, it changes. 
So when Western TNT, and I'm going to differentiate for a reason, Western TNT has three components to it. It has two different variations of dinitrotoluene or DNT and then TNT. And when it's first produced, it has a much higher percentage of those two, we'll call them skinny sisters, a much higher percentage of those two than it has TNT. As it ages, those two go away and you're left with a, do- a more dominant TNT odor. So what you end up with is a dog, you know, continues to identify with this new age, new age, new age, you know, more TNT, and then all of a sudden they get introduced to old TNT. They may not necessarily know that odor or vice versa. So what we suggest is that as you're changing out your odors, keep your old TNT, get new TNT, run your dog on both so your dog understands that spectrum of aging in TNT. Okay. And would that hold true with TNT flake as well? Yes, definitely holds true with with TNT flake. And if you watch your TNT flake, depending on where it's made, it will start to turn red over time. And what that's showing you is that's TNT. Okay. The yellow stuff has more DNT present. Now, I mentioned that things that are Western made, Russian TNT, for anybody who's about to go downrange, Russian TNT is pure TNT. There is no DNT present. And if you ever see it, it's brick red. So if you're going to if you're going down range, make sure you find locally sourced TNT to run your dog on because it will be very different from what you've run on in the West. And in the scent picture for the dog, when you go back to those numbers, is DNT or TNT? Is it bigger? Is he, is he the one? Do you know bigger for the dog as far as the odor? The DNT is much more prevalent when it's when it's newer. Okay, but over time it will it will change and TNT will become at least equal, uh, not necessarily dominant, but the DNT is, is significantly less than what it was. Okay. And what is that time frame? Is it months, years? It's going to be months to years, but you're going to have a, you're going to be hard pressed to find, you know, newly manufactured yeah. TNT last month. So most of it is old, but it's also depending on how it was stored, whether or not it's been thermal cycled because it was hot, cold, hot, cold due to seasons, whether or not the bags have been opened that they were, that they were sealed in all those things play a apart and how well or how that tnt ages okay and does it matter at all if it's like when you see dino ap or any of those it's all going to be it's not that's not name brand specific it's going to be right the dino ap is a little bit different in that it's ammonium nitrate and nitroglycerin but with regular tnt it's it's not brand specific at all uh tnt just ages just changes over time okay but I, I know a lot of people kind of interchange dynamite and as TNT or dyno AP, and those are very different, right? Yeah, yeah they're ver- they're very different. But you know, we have, there's a song out there, TNT is dynamite. So people, and <laughs> you know, of course, everybody makes that association. And I, I, I find that all you know that's great information. I, um, I've thought a lot of times maybe you know we probably have too many training aids, and we could just do. The base odors are you have you done anything with the like smokeless powder and black powder and the black black powder substitutes are you finding any information on those oh great question so double base smokeless powder is made up of either nitrocellulose and nitroglycerin or nitrocellulose and dnt i think it's important to work your dog on both of those compositions so that your dog sees kind of the full spectrum of all 880 plus variations of of what smokeless powder could smell like. So I, I think it's uh, 
you're you're selling your dog short if you only run on nitroglycerin base double base smokeless powders and, and that's brand specific so they're, well they're it's going to be formulation specific so you know some some powders are going to be meant for like magnum loads or for rifle rounds and all that kind of stuff and so the manufacturers are going to have different grain sizes and they're going to use different ratios of the, those energetic materials to get the right burn rate okay so uh there there are a few that are representative of the extremes in other words some that have a much higher concentration of nitroglycerin like all the accurate single digits so like accurate two through nine are going to have a very high concentration of nitroglycerin and then there are some other powders like i some of the imr powders have a very high concentration of dnt okay and and that's okay. obviously it's it's for what like you say it's whatever the powder is being used for but right. I, I think there's many of us that I think I have maybe two brands of of double base smokeless powder in our magazine. So it'd probably behoove everybody to go and read those ingredients and really kind of figure out. You know, maybe the two brands I have are the same. So exactly, if if you look up the SDSs, like for example, with accurate, if you look up the SDS, they won't live, list the specific percentages. They're going to give you a range. Yeah, but they're all give you a, an SDS that used to be called MSDSs, it'll give you like 20 different powders. And so it runs that range of, you know, it'll say something like 5 to 20% of nitroglycerin or some number. Yeah. But uh, there's a big variation across all those different representative products. Okay. Yes, I, don't, a, I don't want to gloss over what you just, something you just said too. Um, explain the process to look up the SDS because I think some people don't do that and, and, I think it's a, it's really good for handlers to understand that. If they uh, just do a, a Google search, they just type in uh, SDS and you just type in accurate gunpowder or accurate smokeless powder, you'll get a whole slew. You'll probably be taken to the, the uh, accurate website. But if they know what powder they have, you can just type in SDS for whatever the powder that you that you have in your kit. And then uh, you'll... You, it, very important to take a take a look through there and see if you see nitroglycerin um, or you see DNT or dinitrotoluene, and that'll tell you the which version of double base smokeless you have. And can you do SDS for other other uh, parts of your training kit too? Can't you? A- absolutely. Uh, some of them are a little bit more difficult, and if anybody ever wants help, they have an, an explosive and they need help with that, then. Be, feel free to contact us. We'll gladly share that with you. But you can look up, for example, Dino AP. You can look up the SDS for Dino AP. You'll go to their website. Sometimes it takes a little digging, but they'll they'll show you exactly what's in Dino AP. Same thing with Unimax, all yeah. the other commercial products. You know, one of the things we did in our unit at, that's worked out pretty well is on the boxes for all of our training aids is we, uh, we actually made labels. So it ha- it'll say, you know, 81%. RDX and whatever, you know, and we just, Mm -hmm. so every time we're looking at our training aids, we kind of remind ourselves what the, you know, which explosive compound we're dealing with. And it's kind of an easy way to to remember all that. That's a really good practice. If you don't have, getting getting pure RDX is somewhat challenging. Right now you can get wetted RDX. That's not anything to be afraid of. It's just a safer transportation kind of thing. But another source of RDX is Composition A5, sometimes referred to as RDX A5. And our, Composition A5 is 
98.5% pure RDX and only 1.5% stearic acid. And stearic acid is in food, it's in makeup, it's in all kinds of stuff. Okay. So don't worry about that being something dominant in the scent picture. But that's a really good, safe source of RDX. As far as PETN, you, you want to try to find uh, wetted PETN, uh, pure PETN. Okay. Even if you cut open deck cord, that PETN is still going to have tributyl citrate in it because the the uh, plastic sheeting the sheeting that goes around it was actually melted onto it. Oh, okay. So it will have that odor in it even if you, if you harvest it from you know big grain deck cord. Yeah. Okay, that's good to know. And you mentioned black powder, black powder substitutes. There, there are two main oxidizers to think about for black powders. That is uh, potassium nitrate. And potassium nitrate is also known as saltpeter. Um, it's an oxidizer. It's not uh, exceptionally dangerous unless you mix it, obviously. But uh, all black powders are going to have potassium nitrate in it. Any of the black powders that are uh, like 777 and where it's kind of enhanced, it still has potassium nitrate in it, but they add potassium perchlorate. It just makes it burn a little bit hotter. But if you get your dogs uh, potassium chlorate, um, and potassium nitrate, you'll be able to find fireworks and you'll be able to find all the different variations of black powder. And that's something that I think we've, we actually talked about in a previous episode, but if people haven't heard that, some of the bomb dogs that I've ran across over the years, mine included, one day we put out, I was training with a different agency, they put out two pounds of their black powder and my dog investigated it as a, like a novel odor and then walked it, and he, he did good on black powder, which caused me to research that. Since then, I've imprinted all the dogs I've trained on pharmaceutical-grade potassium nitrate, and I haven't had trouble with dogs being brand-specific because it seems like the black powder very much can be brand-specific if you're only training on Bob's black powder and I bring out A-plus black powder. Some of the dogs can generalize it, but in my experience, it seems like some of the dogs don't, and when we started doing just potassium nitrate, um, it's really cleaned up that problem. It makes it very specific for the dog. I mean, it's, it's absolutely clear this is the, the, the unique odor that the dog is looking for. Um, if you think about all the different things that can be added to various powders, not only are they going to have, you know, all, all black powders are going to have potassium nitrate, sulfur, charcoal, and maybe the addition of potassium perchlorate, but they're going to add some type of binder and some stabilizers and you know all kinds of other things that may actually have a stronger odor than those core three so i, I completely agree with you that that brand specific specificity can end up hurting your dog and that uh, potassium nitrate the the pharmaceutical grade they make it for fireworks so if you go online and and uh, google it there's a few big places it's actually to me kind of scary that you can without uh other than clicking a button that says, yes, I'm over 21, they'll ship you two, three, four pounds for about 30 bucks right to your house without any other questions. Sure. If you go to a, a fireworks manufacturer site, uh, skylighter.com yep. is a good one. Yeah. Uh, you, the, the one thing to avoid, if you say that you want to buy, let's say, potassium chloride or potassium nitrate, do not say that you want aluminum powder or magnesium powder, or any other metal powder, or they will shut you down immediately. Oh, okay. <laughs> Unless you can provide something that says, hey, I'm a law enforcement officer in such and such a place, or you know, here's my federal explosives license, yeah. whatever. But if you have neither of those credentials to present, do not say anything about metal powders, because they, 
think right away that you're going to try to make uh, fireworks, like sure. uh, firecrackers. Yeah. And that's what firecrackers are made of, or all fireworks that go boom are going to have one of those oxidizers and aluminum powder in it. But it's an, it is an easy, like I've bought stuff off that Skylighter, and it's an easy process to go on there, and, and they'll ship you some potassium nitrate. And it, it sure has helped all of our dogs with uh, black powder, at least. What about all of the black powder substitutes? There's so many different brands, you know, Triple Seven and Pyrodex and stuff. Are you seeing, is there a commonality in those two or uh, a common odor? Those are going to have, they'll still have potassium nitrate in it, but they're going to have potassium perchlorate in it. Uh, so I've, I've used potassium perchlorate and potassium chlorate kind of interchangeably. The two of them are very closely related. You know, one's a little bit heavier than the other. But the reason why you'll see like fireworks manufacturers and, and uh, powder manufacturers using potassium perchlorate, it's a little bit safer than potassium chlorate. Can your dog tell the difference? Maybe, but will the dog alert any differently? Uh, we haven't seen anything that would indicate that the dog will or will not hit on one or the other. They're, they're basically interchangeable, it seems. Okay. But uh, for the black powder substitutes or kind of the enhanced black powders like 777, that's what they're doing is they're just adding a, a different oxidizer like potassium perchlorate. Okay. Moving on, I think we also had talked a little bit about explosive, the thresholds that the dogs need or, or what changes on that. I know you've done some research on that, so I'd like to touch base on that also and see what you what you found out on that so thresholds uh are probably uh next to nailing down your specific odor like rdx and petn handling it and storing it properly threshold is probably uh equally important to those in that if you're at the end of the day are you looking for odor are you looking for a bomb you should be looking for a bomb and having seen a few bombs and not to sound arrogant or anything they're in packages of sure. hundreds of bombs that I've seen. I've only seen two that were not fully packaged. And what I mean by that is these were two bricks of Russian TNT. Every other IED I've ever worked on that I've, that I've seen was in some kind of package. It's in, you know, it's wrapped in tape. It's wrapped. It's a, uh, it's in a, some kind of uh, like a gas can or a bucket or they're always in packages. If you think about pipe bombs, there's a really small hole where some type of fusing system has to go into that hole. That's the only place where you're going to get odor. If you look at what the Zarnett brothers did in Boston, they put them in pressure cookers. The pressure cookers are not 100% sealed. There is a little vent hole, but it's tiny. And so you really need to think about how much odor is going to, is, is an actual IED going to produce. And it's not going to be much because all of these things are generally speaking going to be found in packages okay so if if you look at how much you know like what we're talking about with uh with c4 there's just not going to be a lot of odor from the energetic material now if you reduce the surface area or the amount of area where that odor can escape from the packaging there just isn't much there so i i, I guess you know if you can smell the odor that you're looking for you probably got too much odor. Sure. So rely on the dog to do its part, finding that minuscule amount of, of odor that's present in a bomb. I agree. And I think a lot of times people get, I mean, I think it's good to expose our dogs to large amounts. But we do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of threshold stuff with uh, very, very small amounts. And I attended a, a training with one of the federal agencies a while back. And we saw exactly that where they had moved 
they used pop-up boxes and when the dogs were exposed to um, the odors that they were showing in the little jar area for the pop-up box the dogs overwhelmingly did really well when it was basically punching them in the nose all they did is take that canister and they moved it from from the top of the box and they just set it on the floor so there was about six inches between where the jar was and the hole and all of a sudden across the the board they said across when they've studied it a lot of the dogs drop off in their um, reliability just by changing that picture a little bit so i think uh, i think your point's real valid that we need to to look at thresholds and and maybe work on smaller amounts a lot more than we do we uh, recently did a a large hide class where we put out these are all dogs that had probably rarely if ever had seen anything more than a pound or two and we put a hundred pounds of uh, c4 in a vehicle and left the the windows open we put 120 pounds of nitroglycerin based uh, explosives in a different vehicle but we closed all the doors and windows and then lastly we put out three big totes and they had there was one tote that had 160 pounds of explosives in it and it was fascinating to see how the dogs reacted with each one of those scenarios the dogs with the the dogs that encountered the, the vehicle with 100 pounds with open windows, they, it, it, was, it was a lot of odor for them. There was a lot of odor saturation, and it was int- interesting to watch. They, they had to work for it. When we closed, it, closed uh, the amount of odor there, like, for example, in the closed vehicle, they found where there was an, a vent, sure. and they were able to find that, which was, which was inter- interesting to watch. But the closed uh, totes where they had, even though it was the greatest amount of net explosive weight, it had probably the smallest amount of available odor, and the dogs crushed those. Sure. But it was, it was interesting to see how those three different um, thresholds affected the way the dogs behaved. Yeah, and I think that's a great uh, great point that, you know, I think if you're working, even if you're working, whether you're working a drug dog or a bomb dog, there's different options to figure out a way to do you know, large explosives in some way and, and see what it looks like. So I know we, we have a, a explosive manufacturing company here in, in our area and they'll let us come down and they've put out, uh, you know, a truckload of, of uh, different things before us and out in the field. And that's the call, you know, you're going to get, by, you know, a, a car parked next to, you know, a public building. And it's interesting to see that a lot of the dogs will kind of generalize around the area, but they're not going to go hit the seam and nail it for you so it's you have to see what the behavior is going to be so you can recognize it same with like a lot of uh, a lot of drugs if you have a the mother load in a a camper mm-hmm. van the dog's not gonna probably hit one of the seams for you he's gonna he's gonna give you a lot of change of behavior but not actually maybe even go to final it's interesting to see how the dogs react and uh uh equally interesting to watch the handlers so sure. to say like a couple of times we've done uh we'll put 50 pounds or so and in a car amongst other vehicles and put the start the teams off downwind and the dogs i mean i'm not i'm not a dog handler but it's pretty obvious when a dog starts to throw a massive change yeah. that the dog smells something tens of feet away yeah. and the, the handler may not even be paying attention to the dog because all they're thinking about is i have to get down to these vehicles and yeah. so they don't the dog is already starting to work uh you know 50 75 feet away sure yeah i, th- I think that's a it's a good point and uh you know, I know there's a lot of research done on it, but I guess, you know, we'll, we'll finish up that subject with just making sure that I like doing, I do a lot of stuff, uh, 
to motivate my dogs with just using scented cotton balls. So, I mean, just a very, very small trace amount up to doing large odors. And I think we have to be better about making sure we're, uh, you know, changing up our training aids, the weights of them and stuff when we're doing it. So I think finally uh, uh, we were going to talk about just chemical hygiene and the handling and storage. And I'm sure you deal with that a lot just in your business storage. So um, I wanted to hear what, you, what you've come up with for, uh, as far as dog training aids. And then I pick your brain a little bit about how they're uh, stored even before we ever get them. So the, the chemical hygiene aspect I think is really important because uh, you can end up with all of your materials cross-contaminated. Sure. If your training aids, so let's just take two examples, one explosives. If you have if you do not use gloves or tongs or something like that, and you don't do something to isolate how you handle that odor, or you don't have things packaged in something that's inorganic. In other words, you have things in plastic bags or in Tupperware or whatever. Most likely, everything in your kit, if you have explosives, is going to smell like nitroglycerin. That has the highest vapor pressure. If you're running narcotics, everything in your kit smells like weed. So, or um, whatever the next higher vapor pressure narcotic is. Okay. So important to understand that those things are going to overcome their own barriers especially in plastics and then they will get into the containers of your other odors and we've actually done tests where uh, folks have had their, their they ask us to do this you know come test our stuff and we're able to do swipe tests uh, and then use a almost like a drug test kit but only for explosives and sure enough we were tested uh, one kit did an actual swipe on a block of c4 and it came up c4 and nitroglycerin because everything in there had been exposed to nitroglycerin because the nitroglycerin had been in, in stored in plastic bags that's so, interesting i think that's a, definitely a problem that you know a lot of us probably have so what is the solution what kind of bags should we be storing them in i would use metalized mylar bags or use cork paint cans um, you can use glass jars with metal lids if you're going to use you know, we we kind of think it's a good idea to be redundant. And so if you have, let's say, glass jars with metal lids, put that in a metalized Mylar bag. And you can get those metalized Mylar bags from Uline. They're, you know, 10 cents to a buck 50 a bag. So you can get, it's easy to find them. Um, the other advantage is that you can collapse the air around. You can collapse the bags, that kind of thing. So you reduce the amount of uh, air space that's in that in that uh, bag we call it headspace volume and by minimizing that space it helps to preserve your odors so you want the smallest possible container that is inorganic to help preserve your odors and prevent cross-contamination i think that's real good advice i have a question on that would be suppose i you know have didn't know that maybe i know like for instance i know there's a a very popular kit that you know many of us uh, have where everything comes in one nice big fancy plastic box if they've been stored like that for a long time is there any option of figuring out a way to air out those training aids will they come back to any form or once they've been contaminated with the nitroglycerin from the box are we just kind of well a good test to see if that's in fact happened is to take all the the odors out and then leave the the case slightly open and run your dog on the case if your dog alerts on the case you know you have a problem sure Anything that's in that kit that is packaged in uh, glass jars with metal lids, you're probably in good shape. If it's stuff that's in uh, plastic bags, that's going to be a problem. 
and you may want to consider replacing that. Okay. So one of the questions I always have, and you and you're in the business of selling explosives, I assume to to bomb squads and stuff. So how is that stored at the manu? At, at, I guess not the manufacturing, but the reseller. So if I'm trying to to keep my you know, my, my training kit is different than what your business is. So, you know, your business, mm-hmm. I'm sure you have magazines. Most of the places that, that manufacture these explosives, the furthest thing for their mind is dog training aids. So right. are they, are they, are we getting them cross-contaminated to begin with is my question. I think it's impossible to say that there is no cross-contamination or that there, that you can eliminate that. But what we ask of our distributor is to segregate out the explosives by families to try to minimize any cross-contamination. We also test our explosives to make sure that don't have any cross-contamination. So our, our, we do uh, test both with the colorometric reagent test kits. So it's like the drug test kit where you put it in a little pouch and break the ampule. We do tests like that, but we also have our explosives tested using um, lab instrumentation. And it'll give a breakdown specifically of exactly what that odor consists of. Okay. And, uh, we ensure that it is exactly what we say it is. So like what I've seen, like our bomb squad use a machine when they have an unknown substance. Is that something mm-hmm. that we could, you know, just contact our bomb squad and have them kind of test the outside of, of our different training aids or would that be worth the time? Oh, that that's a great idea. Hazmat teams also have a good resource. Um, some of them will have a field portable uh, GCMS. FLIR makes a good one. Hapside makes one. And those will give you a, a breakdown. You, you'll need to tell them to, to apply a specific library, like explosives. Okay. And they should be able to give you a breakdown of, of those explosives. The bomb squad may or may not have an explosive sniffer, and it also will need to know that it's looking for explosives. But, but most, you, most fire departments would have something or the bomb squad. Somebody would have that, right? Right. I would definitely go with what the hazmat team has first. Okay. And have a much better resolution um, and a better library for all the different explosive components. Okay, it's good to know. I mean, it's probably not a bad uh, bad way to at least start to find out if your training aids are still still any good. Exactly, and you, there are, there's some inexpensive test kits uh, if you're interested in it. It's a, a little, you know, like I said, you you swipe it and then you put a series of chemicals on it, and then it'll turn different colors based on what it's encountering. Oh, okay. But the the, instru- the instruments from uh, the hazmat team is definitely much better. Okay, and those are those are just good resources, and you get to kind of know those guys because at some point you might be working with them anyway. So it's a good way to to kind of reach out to them and start building those relationships. A great idea. We've covered quite a bit in the forty five minutes, and I sure appreciate. It. I know you're a wealth of knowledge, so. Uh, a lot of times when I do these, I get really good questions and good feedback from all the different listeners we have. If uh, I, I, I'm assuming that I'll be getting some really good questions. If you don't mind, I'll probably hit you up in maybe a month or so and go over some of those questions and, and go a little deeper into these subjects, if that would work with you. Absolutely. And uh, people are, are welcome to uh, find us on Facebook under Precision Explosives. Same thing on Instagram. We try to not take ourselves too seriously and post some fun stuff along with some informational things and you're welcome to contact us directly, but I'd love to do a follow-up uh, uh, Q&A session with you. 
Okay, that's great, Todd. I appreciate the time today. I'll put uh, your contact information in the show notes so they can reach out to you. And also, uh, as always, for the listeners, if you have questions on this or anything else, just reach out to me. I'll pass it along to Todd and uh, probably do an extra show on it. Uh, if you if you have the question, probably other listeners have it too. So uh, reach out to me. My email is always in the show notes, and we will do a follow-up. So thanks again, Todd. I appreciate your time. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of Hits K9 Radio. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I think Todd had a lot of good information. Unfortunately, with the scheduling conflicts, Todd's not going to be able to come to Hits in Orlando this year. We're going to be in Orlando in August, as many of you know. Hitsk9.net for all the information about our seminar. We're expecting, as always, more than a 1,000 handlers to join everybody in Orlando this August. We have quite a few other great vendors that are going to be there. Ray Allen, of course, is a longtime sponsor. So they'll uh, have several booths there looking at uh, bringing lots of different gear for you to see what they were up to. Georgia Canine uh, Tracker School is going to be there. Jeff Shetler have a booth so you can stop and talk to him. Check out some of the different stuff that he's doing. He'll have videos playing and stuff. Owens Products makes some fantastic metal cages and kennels for dogs. And they make very high quality stuff. And that's um, done by a police officer. So go uh, support him. Check him out where you're there. And again, hitsk9.net will be at uh, Orlando. And we're going to be there in August. So if you need any more information, check out our webpage. Or you can always email me at jeff at hitsk9.net. Thanks for listening and stay safe. This is the official HITS training and consulting podcast. We are America's law enforcement canine training resource. We're raising the training bar for police dogs everywhere by discussing the intricate details of the training techniques used by the experts. HITS Radio is merging the training world with the real world. You've been there. We've been there too. Thank you.